You know, over time, there is a tendency for every great institution, every great organization, and every great movement to begin to drift away from the original mission. In fact, very often it's the case that the longer time passes from the inauguration of the movement or the inauguration of the organization, that as time passes and the further you get from the original, the more the movement, the more the group of people begin to drift away from the original mission. I remember when I worked at Winn-Dixie in college, I was a meat cutter and worked in the meat market. And I remember showing up one day for work and behind the meat counter were stacks of 32 inch TVs. So you got, picture it, pork chops, filet mignon, pot roast, TVs. And we were the beef people, y'all. Like our whole draw into the store was that our meat was superior, that our meat was the best, that you came to Winn-Dixie because our meat, right? And I remember thinking like, one of these things is not like the other, right? One of these things just does not belong. And it was like we had this bait and switch thought like people were gonna come shopping for pot roast and leave with a TV. Or people were going to come shopping for a TV and leave with a pot roast. And what's it long after that that we declared bankruptcy as a company? You see, we had drifted from our mission. We had drifted from our identity. We had drifted from who we were. You know, it doesn't take much time around the church, much time around the people of God to understand that today we are drifting. We are drifting. We are in the midst of an identity crisis and we don't much know who we are. And we believe that we are having now to begin to fit the message of antiquity, the message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ for a modern age. And so we were having to retrofit the word of God to fit the postmodern, post-Christian culture. And yet the issue is, the issue is, is that Christianity is not up for redefinition. Christianity is not up to be redefined. The mission is not up to be reimagined. We have been given the word of God and the commission of Christ as the people of God. So this morning, what I want us to see is that we are to make a particular type of disciples, the type of disciples that Jesus made in a particular way. And that is in the way that Jesus made them, that we have been given a mission and the essence of this mission has been handed down from generation to generation over 2000 years. And today, today it is the responsibility of our generation to pay it forward for the next. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me now to Matthew chapter 28? All right, y'all, this is the moment. 115 times we have turned over the last five years to the gospel of Matthew. And today we wrapping this baby up. Huh? That's pretty awesome. So stand with me as we read the concluding passage of Matthew. One final time, Matthew chapter 28. Beginning in verse 16, God's inerrant and sufficient word says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, 
All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. May God bless the reading and the preaching of his word. You may be seated. In our passage this morning, there are two simultaneous realities. We see in our passage both how it is that we are to make disciples and at the very same time, how it is that we are to be disciples. That by seeing the type of disciple that we are to make, we are able to see the type of disciple that we are to be. Now, if you'll remember back to what I said uh, last week as we began our time in this passage, the Great Commission, I pointed out something that, that seemed kind of dull, right? Like something that you kind of think, why in the world are you just trying to show off or something, right? I, I pointed out that there's just one verb, there's just one command, make disciples. And then there's these three INGs, these three participles, going, baptizing, teaching. And I pointed that out for a specific reason so that we can see that this text lays out very clearly for us. That in make disciples, we have the what. This is what we are supposed to do. This is what our mission is. But in those three participles, in going and in baptizing and teaching, we have the how. This is how we are to go about to accomplish making disciples. That there is a particular method and a particular means and a particular way in which Christ Jesus has given us as his disciples these marching orders, this commission. That we are to make disciples of all nations by going to them, by baptizing them, and by teaching them all that Christ Jesus has taught us. And so this morning what I want us to see is I want us to see the how of making disciples. The first how that I want us to see is to go to all nations, to go to all nations. Now, I pointed out that it, you're, when you read it in verse 19, it says, go therefore, right? So it's supposed to, I said it's supposed to be going, but they translate it as go. And trust me, the translators are a whole lot smarter than I am, a whole lot more schooled than I am. So why is it that they would take going and translate it as go or as you go and translate it and where it almost looks like a second command, doesn't it? Like if you just read it, it looks like there's two commands in the passage, doesn't it? Go and make disciples. So why would they translate it that way? See, the way that Jesus spoke this, Jesus here is speaking in Greek. And whenever you gave an ING or you gave a modifier like that before the command, it meant that that modifier had almost the same amount of force, the same amount of impact as the command itself. So we can see that as we're looking at this going, baptizing, teaching, that going is at the forefront. That going, there's, there's, something, uh, there's, there's something prioritized about going that brings a, a force almost of a commandment to this particular modifier that is different than all of the others. That if we are going to make disciples, we are going to have to go to make disciples. And I hope it's obvious to you that this means far more than merely traveling somewhere. That when Jesus is saying going, he's saying a lot more than go to the rocket or go to Honda or even go to Africa. He means a lot more by that. That implied within going is going and telling. 
that going in the New Testament always leads to telling that Jesus had no understanding of any expression of evangelism, any expression of the Great Commission that says that share the gospel by all means possible and if necessary, use words. No, from Jesus' standpoint, from the perspective of the apostles, going always requires you to use words. Going always requires you to speak. Paul interpreted it this way in Romans chapter 10. In verse 13 of Romans chapter 10, Paul says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will, we, will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Do you see the logic that Paul's following here? That the stream of thought that he has? He says, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord, anyone who surrenders their life to Christ Jesus and brings their life in allegiance to the Lord Jesus, anyone can be saved. But for them to be saved, they have to know who he is. They have to know Christ. They have to have heard of Christ. They have to, 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 to know him. They have to hear him. To hear him, they have to have someone that has proclaimed it to them, someone that has preached it to them, and for someone to preach it to them, for someone to proclaim the truth of the gospel to them, for somebody to tell them the good news of Jesus Christ, they had to go to them. And how beautiful are those feet in the sight of Almighty God how beautiful are the feet of those who live out the mission of Jesus Christ. How beautiful are the feet of those who have the courage and the guts and the faithfulness and the, and the confidence in the Holy Spirit to go where God has sent them so that they might tell them. And brothers and sisters, as Jesus commissions us as our general, this is what he's calling for us. That we are to go and we are to go and tell for how will they know at Honda and how will they know at White Plains High School and how will they know at the depot and how will they know in Grandview and Mountain View and Cleburne County, how will they know unless someone tells them and who will tell them unless someone goes? Brothers and sisters, it is our responsibility to go. And as we go, we are to tell. There's two different ways that I want us to think about this going though. There's two different ways that I want us to think about this going. And both of these ways are implied in the way that Jesus says this. The first way that I want us to understand Jesus' uh, command to go is that it is as you go, make disciples. As you go, or going, make disciples. That is, as you live your life, as you go to work, as you go home, as you go to the ball field, as you go on vacation, as you go on business meetings, as you go wherever you go, wherever your life leads you, wherever your neighbors are, where, whoever your coworkers are, wherever you find yourself, there you are living your life, but you are living your life on purpose and with purpose. And the purpose that you have been given is the mission of Jesus Christ to take the good news of Christ, the redemption of Christ, the salvation of Christ to everywhere that you are. So wherever you find yourself, Reproduce yourself. Wherever you find yourself, make disciples there. I think a lot of the time, we, when we think about the Great Commission, when we think about missions and sharing the gospel, when we think about going, we think about out there somewhere, don't we? 
We think about Africa and we should go to Africa and we think about Mexico maybe and we should go to Mexico. We, we think about our, our partnership over in Salt Lake City where there's a, an enormous LDS population and we should go to Salt Lake City. Like we should do all of those things. But I'm afraid what we're doing is we're absolving ourselves of the responsibility to share the gospel in our own community and to share the gospel with our own co-workers and to share the gospel with our own children by holding the Great Commission at arm's length and saying, it's out there somewhere. It's out there somewhere. The lostness is out there somewhere. The hopelessness, the loneliness, it's out there somewhere. And I don't really feel called to go. I don't really feel like it's my responsibility to go. And at, by holding the Great Commission at arm's length, we absolve ourselves from the responsibility to live our lives and to leverage our influence and to leverage our relationships for the purpose of making Jesus known. The call of the Great Commission is to multiply yourself as a disciple of Jesus wherever you go, however it is that God has allowed you to live in whatever areas of influence and responsibility the Lord has given to you. The professor, the philosopher, Dallas Willard, he said it like this. He said that the, the call of the Christian life, the call to live as a, a disciple is to say, if I am a doctor, what kind of doctor would Jesus be? If I am a mechanic, what kind of mechanic would Jesus be? If I am a teacher, if I am a ball player, what kind of teacher, what kind of ball player would Jesus be? To live in the way of Jesus, to live on the mission of Jesus, to live through the power of Jesus and to live for the glory of Jesus in whatever path the Lord has set before you to take that life that you have been given, to take that family that you have been given, to take that job that you have been given and to offer it unto the Lord as an offering, as a living sacrifice and say, Lord, whatever job you have given me, whatever influence I have, I will use it for your glory. I will use it for the good of those I love, for the good of those I know, for the good of those that you have sovereignly brought into my life. It's easy for us to believe that we live in such obscurity here that we can't do anything that matters. We live in rural Alabama. We are literally the butt end of everybody else's jokes, aren't we? And it's easy to believe that living here on the margin, on the fringe of the kingdom, that our work in obscurity is insignificant. It's easy for us to convince ourselves living in the Bible Belt that everybody around us already knows and has already made their decision. So what's it to me? It's easy for us to convince ourselves that here in obscurity, we're content to just go live, love and die. But brothers and sisters, what the gospel teaches us, what the great commission gives to us is that those who are faithful in obscurity are used by almighty God to impact eternity. God uses obscure lives to make an eternal difference. Who here, who outside of 30 minutes from here knows the name of Bobby Wilkins? He's an obscure man. He's an obscure man. And the Lord used him to bring me to faith and many of you to faith. Great in the kingdom of God is Bobby Wilkins. He has made an eternal impact, an eternal difference. Who outside of 30 minutes from here knows Gary Cockrell's name? 
And yet many of you survived your early parenting years on the wisdom and the kindness and the instruction of Gary Cockrell. Great in the kingdom of God are men who live faithfully in obscurity. Who within 30 minutes of here knows Edwin Lester's name? And yet, as Edwin crossed over the thresholds of glory, brothers and sisters, there were men and women waiting for him there. Great, in the kingdom of God is a builder, an obscure man like Edwin Lester who lived faithfully out his days in this town. Even as I talk, some of you don't know any of those names. And it only serves to drive home the point that the saints of God living on the mission of God by the power of God for the glory of God transform generations. We are standing on their shoulders, Bobby and Edwin and Gary and dozens and hundreds more just like it, paid it forward for this generation to hear the gospel, to know Christ and to walk with Christ. And brothers and sisters, it is our responsibility here in obscurity to pay it forward to the next generation. To be an unknown nobody with the mission to make Jesus known to somebody is to change a life, change a family, change a marriage, change a generation forever, eternally. So as you go, wherever you go, if you build houses, make disciples. If you play golf, Make disciples. If you go fishing, make disciples. If you go home to a little girl or a little boy or to a wife or to a husband, make disciples. Wherever you go, as you go, going, make disciples. There's a second way that we need to understand Jesus' command. That Jesus, though he implies that it is as you go or going, he doesn't leave the scope of the commission that narrow, does he? He's, he's, clear, he's quick to clarify for us the exact scope of, of the call on our life, the call on our church, the call on his disciples. Because he says, not just as you go, but as you go, go to all nations. Make disciples among all nations. And what I'm wanting you to do is to feel the tension that every disciple of Jesus Christ must feel. The tension that every single one of us must navigate. The tension between going and the tension between staying. The tension of our family and our home and our friends, the responsibility that we have for them. And at the very same time, the responsibility that has been passed to us through Jesus Christ for all nations and all peoples. That we are to make disciples where we are and we are to go to places that we currently aren't and make disciples to the ends of the earth. That we are to love our neighbors in Grandview and we are to love our neighbors in Sri Lanka. That disciples hold in tension the responsibility of home with the urgency of go. The Joshua Project counts that there are more than 17 thousand different people groups. That is 17,000 different nations with the definition of nation as Christ Jesus would have known it. Among those 17,000 other nations, did you know that more than 7,000 of them are less than 2% reached? Less than 2% evangelical Christian. Did you know thousands within that don't even have the word of God translated into their own language? 
thousands within that don't even have a single missionary among their people group, don't have any hope that children of entire generations are being born and dying and never even hearing the name Jesus Christ. Not hearing the gospel. Not hearing that there is hope for them. Oh, how good is God? How good is God that he loves all nations? And how good is God that he has charged us and offered to us the opportunity to go and tell them? You see, every little boy that woke up this morning and bowed down to a false God, the Lord God loves him. And the Lord Jesus died for him. Every mom that woke up in oppression because of a tyrannical culture that has no hope of the gospel. God Almighty loves her and Jesus Christ died for her. Will we take them? Will we tell them? Will we take the good news to them? You see, some of you should move there. Some of you should move there. I've talked with you. I've heard your stories. You know that the call of God is on your life. Some of you, I, I, are, the Lord is prompting and the Lord is stirring and I don't even know about it, but you should move there. You should uproot your family from the roots that you love and the home that you love to go to people that God loves. You should lay down your life on the cross of Jesus Christ just as Christ laid down his life for you. He came to us, so you should go for him. You should uproot your children. Because this life is passing and this life is fleeting. And the rewards that we are living for and the mansions that we are living for and the treasures that we are living for, you can't count them here. Oh, I wish our church would shrink. I wish our church would be fewer in number, that we would send people all across the nation and all across the nations for the glory of God, to have churches planted and to have the lost one and to fill the rows of the kingdom of God rather than the rows of Iron City Baptist Church. Oh, I pray that God would use us as a mobilizing center for missionaries. But most of you, the rest of us, you should stay. And you should live like missionaries here. That is, you should live in less house than you can afford so that you can support the work there. You should drive a car that's less than what you can afford so that you can send there. You, you should wear clothes that are less than what you can, you can purchase so that you can send there. We should live like missionaries now, even though we don't have to, so that we can help the mission of God, go to the ends of the earth. You should forego vacations now so that you can go and spend weeks of your life over there and encourage the work in the kingdom of God that God is doing around this place and to see that God is everywhere and God is calling up for himself a people of every tongue, and every tribe, and every color. You should, you should go. You can live like a missionary in Anniston, Alabama. If you make $100,000 a year, you don't have to have $100,000 a year lifestyle. Live like a missionary. Live like a missionary. Live for the next life. Live commissioned by Christ as, a, as our general, as a soldier in the army of the Lord. We must go. As we go, 
and we must go to the nations. Second how-to that we see here is that we are to baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. He says this in verse 19. It's important for us as we think about how all of these fit together, that none of these can, can be separated from the other. You can't separate going from baptizing from teaching. In fact, it would be an error for us to see these as steps that we are to take toward making disciples. It, because steps imply that some steps are above other steps and that some steps might be excluded to the good of other steps. Instead, what we should see is that going and baptizing and teaching are a composite that make up the very essence and nature of what it means to make disciples. So the picture is that once you have went to someone, proclaimed the gospel to them, and they are ready to respond in faith, that the way they respond in faith and repentance is through the public demonstration of baptism. Baptism is the gateway into the membership of the church. Baptism forms as the sovereign ordained gate by God himself that this is who is to make up the church. Those who walk through the waters of baptism are able to walk into the life of the church and the roles of the church to serve alongside the church because they've entered into covenant. They have done the sign of the new covenant and have now thus moved into membership with the church body. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 12 when he says we are all baptized into one body. That is our baptism is the public identification with Christ that brings us into communion with Christ's church. See, baptism, oh, we've watered down baptism. Oh, we've watered down baptism in our day. Baptism is the public declaration of allegiance to Christ. Baptism is the public declaration of allegiance to Christ. You know what baptism pictures? Baptism pictures, you have the, the person before they go into the water, right? And that is the old person. That is the person who is dead in their sin and dead in their trespasses. That is the person that is living out of their own strength and according to their own good name. That is the person that if they keep going and they keep living their way, they're gonna find themselves under the judgment of God. Oh, but when they go in the water, when they go in the water, as Christ was buried in the earth, as Christ died his death for us and was placed in the belly of the earth, we are buried into the water, saying that we now identify with the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. As Christ was crucified, now I, I am crucified with Christ so that Christ might live through me. That I am putting to death the old sinner. I am putting to death the old life. I am picturing publicly my own repentance and faith in Christ. Oh, but we don't hold you under, do we? I told this to Sadie on Thursday. We don't hold you under, why? Because Jesus didn't stay in the belly of the earth. Jesus didn't stay in the grave. The rock was rolled away and the son of man was lifted up. So that those of us who will put ourselves to death on Jesus's cross and the old person dies, the new person is raised with Christ to live now, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to live now on the mission of Jesus, to live now a life that they were completely powerless to live before. It is to declare to the entire church 
that I, I am going to obey what Jesus has said. Jesus has said that if they come to me and if I believe in him, I am to be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And since Jesus has said it, I will do it. It is the first step of faith. The first step of obedience in a lifetime of steps in the way of Christ. It is to say, I am going to walk a cross-centered life for the rest of my life. That today, today, I'm going to deny myself. I'm going to take up my cross and I'm going to follow after the Lord Jesus wherever the Lord Jesus would have me go. That for the rest of my life, he gets all of my life. So if you were baptized as a baby, or you were baptized because of an emotional decision before you fully surrendered your life to Jesus, you have not been baptized. The New Testament would not even know what you have done. The apostles would have been, would have been perplexed. You've gone through religious motion, sure, but you haven't publicly declared your new life and your new allegiance to Jesus. Baptism is the unavoidable marker of new life in Christ, not signing a card or raising a hand or telling a friend. No, it is to be buried with Christ, that you might be raised with Christ, that you might pledge your full allegiance of your life to the Lord Jesus himself. And baptism is the public declaration of acceptance of the mission. It is the public declaration, we miss this, the public declaration of acceptance of the mission. The reason that you are baptized, the reason that you are baptized is because Jesus sent for you. Do you see this? The reason, do you know why we are baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit? It's so cool. The, the word name Name is singular, and then it gives us three names. Isn't that strange? It should be names, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, like grammatically correct, but it says name, singular, and then three names. Why? It is God, it is Christ alluding to the Trinity, alluding to the Godhead right here. There is one God, and His name is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, three persons. And in salvation, there is a Trinitarian transaction that takes place that we are saved according to the will of the Father, through the work of the Son, by the regeneration of the Spirit. And now, now we are being baptized in their name and we are pledging allegiance to them that now I will live my life according to the will of the Father, through the work of the Son, by the renewal and the empowering and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And what has he told us to do? What is the will of the Father? To make disciples to make disciples, that we are baptized because we have been made a disciple and we are baptized because having been made a disciple, now we are going to make disciples. We are accepting publicly the mission that Christ has come for us, the mission that we are to go in his name. It's living resolved to live a life impossible by your own power and foolish if Christ is not raised. You were saved because of Christ's mission and now you will go so that others might be saved too, so that Christ might be glorified further. As Jesus was sending out his disciples as sheep among wolves in Matthew chapter 10, a precursor even, if you will, to the great commission that we get in Matthew chapter 28. He says, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. 
You see, brothers and sisters, you cannot sneak your way into the kingdom of God. You cannot sneak your way into the kingdom of God. The idea of a privatized faith that no one knows about except for you and Jesus is not a biblical ideal. It is not an apostolic ideal. It is an American ideal and it will bring condemnation into your life. Oh, brothers and sisters, have you publicly declared your allegiance to Jesus? Have you publicly accepted the mission of Jesus? Here is my guess, that there are many of you over the last weeks, over the last months, maybe over the last years, Jesus has taken hold of you. He's taken hold of you. All of a sudden, you see it in the word of God. All of a sudden, the gospel comes and it is the central idea of your life, the central priority of your life. The word of God has come, come to life in ways that you never have. Now you care about the glory of Christ and you care whether or not your life is to his glory or to his shame. But back when you were allegedly baptized, it wasn't the case. You know, looking back, that you didn't get it. You know, I don't have to convince you, you know, looking back, that you were not committed to the ways of Christ. You know, looking back, that you did not love the gospel of Christ. You know that looking back, you were not ready to give the rest of your life, all of your life for Christ. You look back and you know, but you excuse unfaithfulness and disobedience in baptism because you don't want to be publicly shamed. So you look back on those times and even though you know, you don't you aren't baptized, you use that as justification. Oh, today, today, the one who died for you, the one who took your place, the one who was publicly humiliated in your honor and your name, would you be baptized into him? Would you be baptized into him? It's okay if you don't know the color of the carpet or the, or the exact time that it happened. What matters is that today you know that your allegiance is to Christ and that you have repented of your sin and your full hope is in the kingdom of God. Today, would you make that plain, not by signing a card, not by raising your hand, but by passing through the baptistry, by publicly declaring that you are with Christ and you will go where Christ has sent you and you will do what Christ has sent you to do. The final how of disciple making that we see is to teach obedience to Jesus's commandments. To teach obedience to Jesus's commandments. That is, they are to teach potential disciples of all, uh, teach potential disciples all of what he has taught them about being disciples. Remember that Jesus has been with these uh, disciples for three years, right? So, so think about what he's telling them saying, go make disciples of all nations. And then he says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded to you. So here's what he's saying. Everything that I've taught you, you need to teach them. Everything that I've shown you, you need to show them. Everything that, that I've helped you understand, you need to help them understand. And took Jesus three and a half years. And it seems to me like he was a pretty good teacher, right? Seems like a pretty sharp guy, that Jesus. And so we are supposed to walk in the method of Jesus, walk in the path of Jesus. After all, what else does it mean to follow him? So we are to do it in the way that Jesus did it. And the way that Jesus did it wasn't done overnight. It wasn't a six week meeting. It wasn't a, a Wednesday night class. It was a lifestyle. See, to make disciples like Jesus is to commit your time and your energy like Jesus. 
This isn't about ABCs to Jesus and this is not three easy steps to evangelism. This is a life commitment. When we think of the Great Commission very often, I think we have been conditioned to think in events and we've been think, to think in huge out, uh, uh, outsource tactics. We think of tactical evangelism. We think of tools for reaching the unreached. But disciple making is a lifestyle, not an event or a class. It is to pour your life into somebody else. It is to spend your time and exhaust yourself. It's a lot easier to do events, isn't it? It's a lot easier to have a Sunday afternoon class, isn't it? But when disciples start knocking on your door at midnight, when you start getting calls, when you don't want calls and texts, when you don't want texts with people that are in dire need, when you have people that don't understand what the scriptures say and you teach and you teach and you teach and they still don't understand, when you want them to go on mission and you push them forward and every step you push them forward, they take two steps back and you keep pushing and you keep pushing. Man, think of Peter. Think of John. Think of James. Disciple making is not a class and it's not an event and it's not a, a smoke and mirror show. It is a lifestyle, a life commitment. That is, making disciples is about being disciples. It's about being disciples. That if you are going to be a disciple of Jesus, you're gonna to have to live in the way of Jesus. And if you live in the way of Jesus, you are going to live with other future disciples of Jesus. Think about the strategy that Christ has. It was brilliant. He trained 12. One of them dropped out. He's left with 11. They trained hundreds, they trained thousands. And today, 2000 years later, there are millions. You think you can't make a difference in obscurity? You think you can't make a difference in obscurity? Invest your life in a few. Give everything that you've got. What if God raises them up as a missionary? What if God uses them to win all of their children to the Lord, who lead all of their children to the Lord, who lead all of their children to the Lord? What if you are responsible for generations of a single last name coming into the kingdom of God? Is that too obscure? Oh no, no. Be disciples and make disciples. See, Jesus took personal responsibility for the godliness of others. And that's what it means to be a disciple maker. Not just to baptize them, not just to go to them, but to teach them, to teach them everything. All that the word of God commands, all that Christ Jesus has said. Think about the word observe in all there, right? Observe all that I have commanded you. That doesn't exactly leave a lot of wiggle room for us, does it? To, to observe doesn't mean that you don't just listen to it. You don't just assent to it mentally, but you obey it. You obey it. So in other words, teach them to bring their lives into submission to my word. Teach them to walk in my ways. Teach them not just to know, but to do. See, Jesus is commanding his disciples not only to teach information, but also transformation. He's teaching his disciples to live out, not some, not most, not the easiest, but all of what he has taught them. Disciples of Jesus know what Jesus said and do what Jesus did. The most basic principle of being a disciple of Jesus is to bring your life into submission to what Jesus teaches. 
to bring your life into surrender to the way of Christ, to the methods of Christ, to the ethics of Christ, to the morality of Christ, by the power of Christ. What about your life? Do you know a lot, but don't do anything? Do you have information, but never experience transformation? That's a disciple of Christ. Are you a real disciple of Christ? Have you really repented of your sin and begin to follow after Christ? Do you really know Christ? Iron City, I wonder, this morning, will you accept the mission? Will you accept the mission? Can we do that together? Will you accept the mission to go to all nations, to go to your neighborhood, to go to your coworkers, to go to your employees, to go to your children, to go to your spouse. Will you accept the mission to go to them and make them into disciples? Will you be willing to lay down your life in the way of Christ and acceptance of his mission? Are we willing to make a difference to the nations from obscurity? Are we willing to connect into the big picture of what Christ Jesus has been doing through the world over the last 2,000 years? Will we pay it forward for the next generation? This morning, will you accept the mission? Let's pray together. Hi, I'm Cody Hill. I'm the lead pastor here at Iron City. Thank you so much for connecting with us online. I hope in the days ahead that we'll have an opportunity to connect with you in person. On our website, ironcity.org, you'll see a number of different opportunities that you have to connect with our church and opportunities that we're seeking to engage our community and minister to our church family. I'd like to especially invite you to come and be a part of one of our connection groups that meet at 9 o'clock immediately preceding our Sunday morning worship service. You'll find that we're not a perfect church, but we are a passionate church. We take following Jesus very seriously, but we try not to take ourselves too seriously. So I hope you'll come this Sunday at 1015 and worship with us and let us get to know you a little bit better.